Hi, my name is Tap Live, and welcome to Love the Music. Today's date is February 2nd, 2021. I am a photojournalist, and I write a weekly music column for a site called Don't Believe a Word I Say. I'm also known as a girl with a camera, the picture taker, throughout the music scene here in Toronto. The focus of Love the Music is the music and its people. However, the effect the pandemic has had on this industry over the past 11 months has been nothing short of catastrophic, from the ground up. What we call the gig economy has been almost decimated. The monetary struggles are only the beginning. The psychological impact is more damaging and far-reaching and is becoming more and more apparent as this virus continues to wreak havoc with our lives. Three months into our first lockdown, I began to wonder how the many artists I had come to know were coping, what they were doing and where they expected to be in 2020. By June 10th, I had my first interview. I've spoken with over 50 Canadian artists living in Toronto, Hamilton, London, Beijing, Austin, Nashville and the UK. What began as pieces for my column slowly grew into this series, the pandemic interviews, conversations, and a changing time. You can read the full story of how this all came about in my January 27th column. I believe Toronto and her surrounding areas are a good representation of what's happening around the world. I am also hoping this forum will be a continuing voice for musicians, not only from my neighborhood of Toronto, but the diasporas of Canadian musicians around the world. You will notice as the interviews progress, the questions vary and the number of questions grow. I originally started with eight simply as conversation starters. As of this date, my queries have now grown to over 20. As mentioned last week, some of the conversations are in person and took place both indoors and outdoors, as well as over Zoom. So traffic, sirens, lawnmowers, air conditioners, birds and the crackle and static of ill-connected Zoom calls are all part of the added entertainment. Keep in mind these conversations took place in 2020, from June until the end of October. Unfortunately, not much has changed, and in fact it's been getting worse as cases continue to skyrocket. When you hear this, Ontario will be under total lockdown and borders are essentially closed, while testing has now been mandated at the main International Toronto Airport. This pandemic has lasted far longer than anyone had anticipated, so I'm planning to check in with most of these artists during 2021. Every week, I will be thanking Eddie and Quincy Volan and Paul DeLong for that fabulous piece of music you heard at the beginning, and you will hear at the close of every podcast. My deepest thanks go out to the three of you for your time and your creative energies. Welcome to Episode 2 of the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. I chatted with Susie Corey while we hung out on my back deck in the early morning hours of June 15th in 2020 with a very large pot of coffee. The birds chime in and the sounds of the city will drift in and out of our conversation. And since I live beside a TTC loop, I was really praying a streetcar didn't go through. Country rock artist Susie Corey was born in Beirut and raised in Toronto. She burst onto the music scene in 2017 with a rock EP entitled Spellcasting, produced by John Angus MacDonald of The Trues. Recently reviewing some old photos, I came across one I had taken of Susie at CMW in 2016, with, of all people, Bobby Curtola. 
It was their first introduction to each other, and Susie was just beginning to seriously contemplate a career in music. After a brief conversation, and I'm assuming after Bobby found out why Susie was attending the conference, they both broke into song on the spot. Knowing Bobby, always with a twinkle in his eye, I'm sure he instigated it. When I saw Susie again, it was a year later, and she was belting it out with her rock band at Cherry Cola's shortly after the release of Spellcasting. I took quite a number of photographs, and then we chatted briefly after the show, becoming Facebook friends to keep in touch. I have been following her ever since. Through a number of unique coincidences, Susie ended up performing at a well-known club in the U.S. and a music festival in Brazil, both unexpectedly. She disappeared from the Toronto scene, finding herself in L.A. writing and recording with producer Brent Woods of Vince Neil, Sebastian Bach, and Taylor Hawkins fame. In 2018, Susie was back in Toronto with a new drive, a new look, a new sound, and a brand new original song, The Secret Garden. The ACDC rocker had a country soul. Since The Secret Garden, Susie has released four more singles, Pretty Little Things in 2019, and three singles in 2020, Settle of the Dust, Outlaw, and her latest, Love Revolution. In the summer of 2020, Susie organized the first ever drive-in country music festival, aptly named the Love Revolution Festival. It took place just outside of Peterborough, Ontario, and featured seven local country artists, including Susie herself. It was a sellout show. A short time later, she would take the same festival to Columbia, Tennessee. Her newest song, Got a Feeling, will be released this spring. I'm here with Susie Corey. Hi. <laughs> and we're going to have a little chat about pandemic, isolation, where were you a year ago, and where are you now? What are you doing now, and where did you think you would be? So a year ago, it's June, um, it was funny because my producer, for the first time ever, was, um, as far as I've known him, because he's been here before, but um, he was in Toronto with Sebastian Bach, because he's a guitarist, and so I remember um, going to see him perform in Welland, and it was an interesting show, and then we were talking about, I told him I had this idea about a song um, called Love Revolution. The irony is that this song is coming out in a few days, and but the idea of the song came up this time last year, and he said, okay, well, I'll yeah. come, yeah. So we had started working on it, and I explained to him, I don't know where the words came from, I just sat down at a piano and or keyboard, and these words started coming about this big change coming. And now I feel funny talking about it, because when I tell them, they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, sure, you knew. I'm like, no, you know, I, I don't, I couldn't have imagined how it's going and how it happened, but I knew something was coming, something about the number 2020. Like I'm a very numbers person, you know, all about numbers. Yeah. And so the idea of the year 2020 felt like there was going to be this big movement in humanity. Not what I, I, I didn't know what was going to happen by any means, but th that's where the song came from. So this time last year, we were planning on him coming back out here and he did in July. We ended up recording the song, the vocals for it out in Pickering at this beautiful studio. It was the most amazing three days of my life like it was really really cool so that's what I was doing last year where did I expect myself to be on tour you and everybody else <laughs> well I haven't been on tour you know yeah. so yeah so this would have been your first year on yeah tour. I was wow. kind of 
thinking about that, how I was going to make it work. Cause I also have a job, a day job. Um, and you know, it's so funny now I find myself with a lot of free time, <laughs> but not able to go out on tour. So, but like I was telling you earlier, I think this is amazing. I mean, for me, this has been probably some of the most beautiful months of my life. Um, you know, really internalizing and I mean, I'm always somebody who's very reflective anyways. I take a lot of time to be on my own and think about things and kind of having that silence and not all the noise helps you figure out what to do next in your life because you're listening to your instinct. And more so than ever now, I've been able to do this and I'm really focused only on music because I don't have my other profession going on. Um, so it's been amazing for me. It's like the universe saying, okay, here you go. Here's some time to just focus on music. And so I've been doing a lot of writing and although it's not in the way I'd like to do it with my producer, but we're, you know, we've um, gone online like everybody else is doing using zoom calls and things like that, but it's great, you know, but on my own, I can sit and write in my room and I've got all day to be able to do it. I started vocal lessons, which I really haven't done in my life before. Cause I'm okay. like, I got to up the, um, you know for the tour <laughs> for the upcoming tour okay. yeah I've got to have the voice going on and I am doing stuff of connecting with people in the US and because I mean that's really where I want to go is kind of the southern states I'm really focusing on for some reason my instinct is saying Texas so well you segued from rock yeah fairly hard rock yeah to country yeah and you've and, been there all along <laughs> and I've been there all along and you just kind of sort of vanished for a little while and then segue into country. So country's always been, country's really in your heart. That's where I think you've always been, yeah. if I recall. You know, we talked about the story of how I wanted to be a performer when I was younger. My parents were kind of dead set against it. Ended up taking another route in life, working up the corporate ladder, got married, had kids. Um, when I moved back to North America after having been abroad for several years, I had this idea that I wanted to go meet my idol, Axl Rose, and everybody thought it was nuts. I flew to LA, the long, short of the long story is that I ended up meeting him, um, just because, you know, he was they, out jogging or something. Wasn't yeah, he? yeah. Yeah. He was getting ready to get back on the road with Guns N' Roses, which I didn't know at the time, but, um, yeah, I met him like two minutes from his house and we took a picture, talked and everything. And so that kind of instigated everything and brought back all the feelings that I had towards music and wanting to be a performer. And it's really because of him that I ever wanted to be a performer. So when I first got into music, that's kind of what I was trying to do is the rock stuff because it's what I grew up on. It's what inspired me in the first place. But, and I ended up working with John Angus McDonald from The Trues, who's mm -hmm. a guitarist of The Trues. So we did a rock, you know, EP and I released that, very happy with it. Did all these, I played the Whiskey A Go-Go in LA, which was like a bucket list item. <laughs> I can't say the other word, or can I? There you go. So I'm, I'm still working on my bucket list. I'll get to the bucket list after. So, you know, ended up playing in Brazil and it was- oh, You were in Brazil, I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. But, and that happened really strangely. Um, I was at Indie Week in 2016. Right. Not as a performer, because I, I didn't even have songs at that point. I went to go see a friend who was playing and I met um, a Brazilian band, Trampa. Yes. Oh, they're amazing. Yeah. And Rodrigo and I, the guitarist, really became friends. I was the like, the guy with the hair. Yes, the big acro. And I met him that night and I, I went and spoke to him and I said, like, you're incredible. You know, you've just got this presence. And I'm hoping to start music and writing music. Let's stay in touch and, you know, maybe one day you and I will share a stage. 
Well, little did I know a few months later, I had worked on the songs with John Angus McDonald, recorded them, sent them to him, because him and I were still in contact. He's like, hey, listen, I like this, and we're having a festival here in Brasilia. Do you want to come play, and we'll be your band? And so they learned the songs, they rehearsed them. I got out there, did two rehearsals, and played a festival in Brazil. <laughs> so, oh, my God. It's really cool, yeah. That's synchronicity. It is. But, you know, again, you and I were talking about that earlier, where just be there, be present, go out there, meet with people. Um, You know, I felt an instinct to go up to him and talk to him, to Rodrigo. And at the time, I didn't do it because I knew it was going to lead to something else. But it's all that thing that I was talking about, that you plant seeds everywhere. It's connections. Yeah. It's these little connections that you make. And so going back to the story of my current producer, Brent, You know, at the time I had done the music with John Angus McDonald, I went to LA to go do a photo shoot. And I know that sounds all fancy and stuff, but it's only because the photographer who's from Toronto had a friend who was in LA. He said, let's do the photo shoot there because we can use his studio. And he's a very well-known photographer. Who's Um, that? It's Niels Lalsauer. For months, I had this magazine, Rolling Stone, with Guns N' Roses on the cover sitting on my coffee table at home. It's something that I, I love them, my favorite band. And I had this sitting on my table and when I connected with this photographer I found him online Igor Vidyashev um you know we talked about shooting he said well let's go to my friend's studio in LA we can shoot there and use his studio he's really like a legend in photography you'll get to meet him okay when I got there only then did I realize he's the one who photographed that picture of Guns N' Roses on Rolling Stones cover so you know that's it's moments like that to just blow your mind so that trip I was supposed to meet up um, Igor says, I have a friend who I'm supposed to photograph there. His name is Brent Woods. He's a you know a guitarist. You should connect with him. So I did online. And then when I went there, we couldn't meet up, you know, for whatever reason. Um, he was busy. And then Igor ended up not shooting him. So it, we didn't connect, but we stayed in touch the next few months. And then when I went to LA another time, I got in contact with him. We did meet up. I showed him the songs that I'd done with, um, with John Angus. And we got talking about music and stuff and then it was a few months later when I was thinking to do new songs and start writing again I we had really become really good friends and I thought I really want to work with him and you know see where this goes and so I did I went to LA spent two weeks there and that's when the songwriting you know he was very insistent on find your own sound stop trying to be Axl Rose <laughs> stop trying to be whatever you're good trying to good be. piece of advice it was yeah. the best piece of yeah. advice you know and that's where something strange happened that it just I started writing country songs and I'm like where is this coming from I don't really listen to a lot of country and you know I've spoken about this before in other Me interviews either. well you figure out it was my mother who was always playing country in the house yeah. I grew up on country not realizing I grew up on country because I wasn't the one putting the songs on. My mother was. Totally. So we just listened to, I think all of us growing up, it was just music. <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned that. I'm a huge fan of Barbara Streisand. And I had written some songs in the beginning with my new producer, Brent. And he's like, stop this Barbara Streisand kind of music. You know, it's like musicals. I'm like, but I love musicals and I love Barbara yeah. Streisand. He's like, well, you got to focus on some kind of, you know, one thing. Um, there's nothing wrong with being different, but you yeah. kind of have to have a flow somehow. So it it's, doesn't sound like a completely different artist. So, okay. So you grew up listening to country without really realizing it. And yeah. that's where you were at before I interrupted you. Yeah. And then, you know, I realized in the 90s, I was a huge fan of Shania Twain. And I actually went and saw her perform at what's now called the Budweiser stage. But um, at the time, it didn't seem to me like country. 
you know, I remember seeing um, Dean Brody and I was, I think I posted something on Facebook saying it's my first country concert. And then somebody went, but you went to go see Shania. And I'm like, <laughs> in like 98 or something. And, you know, at the time, again, it didn't, it, you talk about this thing of not realizing genres. To me, she was more of just like a pop artist. So you're, so you are now officially really in country. Yeah. You're not doing the Axl Rose thing anymore. No, you so know, to speak. and here I am wearing a Guns N' Roses shirt. Hey. <laughs> That's how I do my rock thing. I wear the shirt. You wear, you wear the sing. music. Yes, I wear the music that I love. For me, now that I am more into the country, I'm also listening to a lot more country, but I still tend to go towards the older stuff. You know, not so much the, the modern day country. I mean, Casey Musgraves for me is someone I really like right now. Um, but really, you know, I'll listen to Emily Harris and Linda Ronstadt and Stone Skinner. I love the Stone and, Ponies too. Well, see, and that's that's really my kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I love that kind of music. Yeah. Maybe also because you know it reminds me of way back when. <laughs> Do you find yourself thinking or maybe bringing a little edge to the country that you do? You yeah. come from a rock and roll, pretty hardcore rock and roll era. Yeah. So you bring you segue some of that into your country material. Oh, definitely. Bringing that, like the last song I put out, Outlaw. Yeah. You know, a lot of people heard that went. Well, it's not real country. I'm like, well, I'm not trying to be real country. You know, I, I'm being who I am. Yeah. And whatever that is, is great. And that's our cue for our first musical break. I remember Susie's first live country performance here in Toronto during Indie Week in 2018. She had just arrived back in Canada from L.A. and was asked to perform at the festival. Not knowing any country musicians in Toronto at the time, Susie enlisted the help of a few of her rock musician friends and a band was hastily put together. With only one brief rehearsal, Susie performed her new single, The Secret Garden, live for the very first time. You'd have never guessed it was the first time this group of musicians had ever performed together. The song we're about to hear, Settle of the Dust, was Susie's third recording, released back in early 2020. You've been running around like all them wild horses Chasing after a dream, nobody tying you down No, it's never been easy finding love in a hotel No time for goodbye, you gotta hit the next Before you Open skies 
Settle of the Dust by Susie Corey, her first release of 2020. I am Pat Blythe, and this is Love the Music. You're listening to the second episode of the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. You really have to find who you are as an individual and stick to that. You know, you don't have to cater to anything in particular. I mean, I know people who have a certain vision. They want the big commercial success. If that comes, that's great. I don't want to pay it at the price of doing something that's not me. You have to set out from the get-go, what is your focus? What is your reason for doing this? For me, it's about showing people just be yourself, you know, and whoever likes it, fantastic, because then I can be comfortable with it. I know that whatever I'm giving to people is genuine. I'm not putting on some kind of BS show just so like, you know, I'm a uh, country artist who grew up on a farm when I've never even really been around animals, you know? You have to just be who you are, and it's great that in this t- day and age, 
you know, you don't get signed to labels early on at a, until you're probably successful already. Yeah. You have time to develop yourself slowly and figure out who are you. You know, look how I made this change from big rock to all of a sudden in the world of country. And I was able to do that without any kind of, you know, there's no big eyes on me because I'm still developing. And it doesn't mm -hmm. matter where you've been, what you, where you are in your life, right now is the moment you can turn everything around. It just, every song has something for you and you see yourself, the progression and the changes and how you can really keep writing even better and better and how you, you develop as a writer. The growth. As, yeah, and yeah. that's important. This is the amazing part, the process and who you become as a person. You know, what this is doing to you as a person and then the more incredible thing is when you see how it affects others. And if it can inspire other people to do the same thing, to me, that's the magic. It's not about the song. It's about what it creates for people. So you kind of covered this off a bit. One of the questions was, is how has the pandemic or the isolation changed? Has it changed your approach to how you keep yourself relevant um, and busy? Yeah. Or has it not? Um, yes and no. I think, you know, you can't help but have been changed because of it. I, I think I was lucky in that timing. Um, so in February, I went to LA to shoot a music video for Settle of the Dust. And I remember being on the plane and going, you know what, I'm already going there. I've already got the costs of like the place I'm staying, my car rental, my boy. I have another song that's ready to go in a couple of months, which I knew I was gonna release Outlaw. So I'm like, why don't I shoot two videos? Like, I'm already there, let me just get it done. And I had someone who owed me a favor, a director and stuff. So I'm like, let me contact him. On the plane, I literally messaged him and started looking for a place where we could shoot the video like a studio make a long story short I land in LA and I've already got pretty much things okayed for to set it up and this was like three days before we're gonna shoot it wow. so I went there and I shot two videos the reason I'm mentioning that is because when I came back then you know a month later all this broke out I had two videos ready to go and yeah. music videos and two songs ready to go so I had the material to stay relevant in terms of putting stuff out um, so that was great. And plus I have songs, like I still have two more songs. The one that's coming out now in a couple of days, yeah. Love Revolution, and I have one more that's coming out. So I planned this year out that I would have a song every quarter. So every, you know, three months I have something coming out. So because I planned ahead, I have stuff to put out there. Um, I think it's hard if you haven't done that because then, you know, getting into a studio recording, that's been difficult. Um, but in terms of staying online, I mean, again, we talked about that the online performances, and I'm not putting it down in any way. And the irony is tomorrow I have something <laughs> that I am doing online. But mine, I, I mean, I've barely done anything. I, if anything, I've gone on and just said hi to everybody, you know, and chatted and done a live feed that way. The performances, it's become flooded. And it's, it's good and it's bad. I mean, it's great to people who've gone out there and given people something to watch and kept them occupied. And in the beginning, it was fantastic. I just think now it's, it's too much. You know, I started, I have friends who are doing a lot of that and it's like, who am I going to watch? Because <laughs> everybody's doing yeah. something, you know, and you, you maybe tune into this one for 10 minutes and then you pop over to this one. And so your focus becomes, you know, all over the place. And then eventually I'm just like, I can't watch any of this anymore. It's like fly feeds all day long, all night yeah. long. And, you know, big artists are doing it. So even as an indie artist, you find yourself competing online with, you know, all of a sudden Luke Combs gets on and is doing a live feed. Well, of course, people are going to jump over and watch him, you know? So it's been interesting in that way. And I've kind of went, you know what? It's okay for me to just step away. <laughs> Let me work on the behind the scenes stuff. 
I've tried to learn more about social media, learn more about um, syncing music, connecting with um, agencies who do syncing music, you know, and going, okay, where is my focus going to be? I want to be a songwriter, so I, I've got to write more songs, and I focused on writing a lot more. Um, I don't know if I told you this while we had the recorder going, but, you know, I started taking vocal lessons, um, which I never really truly focused on, whereas now it's becoming like daily, I'm, you know, doing some kind of vocal exercise. So I'm focusing on the core things, you know, whereas before you're out and about and trying to interview with this person, yeah. um, you know, get through to that person, do shows. I had a full-time job, my kids, your focus is all over the place and, you know, it was crazy to try and keep up with all that. Now it's like, okay, let me just focus on the real important things, what's important to me, the writing, um, my vocal ability, you know, I wanna be, I've picked up the guitar and tried to learn playing. I'm not great at playing and I won't be doing any live feeds anytime soon playing my guitar. Um, but it's helped me to, I can play now and write songs on guitar because I've learned, you know, basic chords. And yeah. so when I contact my producer and say, hey, I have an idea for a song, before I would do basic keyboard keys, like Love yeah. Revolution I had on keyboard that I'd written. Um, now I can do it on guitar, and so it gives a different feel, you know, and it's it's cool. The next question was on motiv motivation and creativity, and that obviously is not lacking in what you're doing, and you're exploring other options as well. The music that you're, not the stuff that's coming out now, because we talked about Love Revolution and how it's applying now, mm -hmm. but going forward, when you're writing new material, do you think that what's going on now will be or could be reflected in your music? Possibly. Does it have an impact on what you're writing? So here's the thing. Um, you know, it's been an interesting time and I'm not a political person. I don't watch a lot, to, a lot of television. I don't get involved in politics, whether it's wrong or right. You know, I think everybody is free to their own opinions. My personal thing, and sometimes people joke around that you live in your own bubble. I'm like, maybe I do, but you know what? I'm happy in that bubble. And um, I really filter what kind of information because it goes into my head, you know? And that's where I see people, they think, well, you gotta know about everything. You should be watching everything. Yes, I don't wanna be oblivious to everything, but it's also a dangerous thing when what's being fed to you, if it's constantly negative information, it also affects you as a human being. Mm -hmm. And my, reason for wanting to do music and to be an artist is to be uplifting and motivating and so it's very important to me to keep my mindset positive so no matter what's going on I want to deal with it in a way that comes from a perspective of love understanding not hatred you know yes there's lots of things that are not right with the world I can't control all of that but what I can control is myself and how I am with people and how I conduct my life and the decisions I make. And I really believe that, you know, you don't need a religion or a book or something to tell you what's right and what's wrong. Your conscience and your instinct, if you listen to them, clearly tell you what's right and what's wrong. Yep. And so you should be going based on that, you know. And I don't like necessarily jumping on a bandwagon because it's the thing of the day. So that's why I, I you know, kind of mentioned right now when we first started talking about Love Revolution, I didn't write this now because of what's going on. I wrote this last year because I felt a beautiful change coming in the world, like that humanity was gonna to move towards a more loving environment and it had to happen. That's why I'm saying I actually had no clue, this is crazy what happened, you know, it's just beyond comprehension. Yeah. 
it's unbelievable. But at the same time, I still have a gut instinct. This is all moving us in the right direction somehow. So, you know, will there might be, you know, something that comes from me. My music, I don't really sit down and go, okay, I'm going to write a song today about this. That's not the way it works. I'll be on, a, I go walking every day for an hour. And during my walks, I get like something that comes into my head and I pick up my phone and I just sing it into my phone. It might be a, a sentence or two. It might be the title of a song. I put it in my phone, you know, and then when I go back home, I'm like, okay, where did that come from? And I'm just, I'm thinking about, again, it's not a, you know, structured thing that I'm going to write because I'm really upset about this that's happening. I'm gonna write about this. No, and even Love Revolution, it was like, I sat down at my keyboard and I, these words just started coming to me. I can feel something coming. Can you feel it too? Yes, these walls are falling. The chains are breaking free and, you know, and love revolution that we have to have this. And so it's just something, I always think it's more incredible when you let the song come through you. I'm not the one, I don't even feel like I created it. <laughs> it's weird. It's a spontaneity. Yeah. Something else bigger than you creates this, Yeah. you know, and that's cool. Well, it comes from the heart. Absolutely. A perfect segue into this next song. Reminiscent of the 60s and 70s, this was Susie's final release of 2020. The song inspired two sold-out drive-in shows, one here in Canada and the second in Tennessee. Done in the one-two-three dance of the waltz, here's Love Revolution.
back. We just heard Love Revolution by Susie Corey. I am Pat Blythe, and this is Love the Music. You're listening to the second episode of the Pandemic Interviews, Conversations in a Changing Time. How are you coping personally, so aside from the music? Because some of the artists that I've been speaking to, I mean, there's unfortunately, there's a number of people out there that suffer from depression yeah. um, or anxiety. Some of them, as in, we talked earlier about, all of a sudden now they're not playing anymore, and that's that's their life. You personally, you seem to be coping very well. <laughs> well, you know, I think at some point in my life, I would love to work with people, particularly musicians, because I've noticed from talking to a lot of them, there's a lot of underlying issues, even when people are on tour. You know, it's an interesting life because it's unconventional. There's a lot of insecurity. There's, all, you know, all these issues going on. And if you add to that any kind of alcohol, drugs, anything else, um, past histories of what people have been through and then put them in this kind of lifestyle where a lot of it is dependent on what people think of you it's a scary place to be and you and I talked about that earlier where we said sometimes when you get into this later in life there's a wisdom there and um, a sense of confidence that I'm not you know if people didn't care about what I'm doing that's okay <laughs> you know it's it's fine to me if people like it great and if people don't like it that's fine and I can accept that. Some people may not, you know, they might have lived their whole life living this kind of thing and dependent on what others think, especially when you're in the spotlight and when all of a sudden you might not have that spotlight, who are you now when you don't have fans or you don't have, you know, a performance and people clapping for you? Again, I don't know enough about that. It's not like I've been doing this for years that I totally understand it. But what I do understand is that your perspective and your mental state of being, that's the most important part of it, you know? and. So it's not necessarily what we're going through, it's how people are reacting to it. And it's how you view it. To me, when this started happening, you know, I would talk a lot of friends who are musicians, they were on tour, and they're like, I'm just lost and I don't know what. I'm like, but you're get, getting time to relax and you're getting time to spend time with yourself. And I think sometimes it's scary for people to spend time alone and find out who they really are. But that's the most incredible thing you can do for yourself, you know? And so I think this is necessary. It's great that it's happening. But again, everybody's going to deal with it and see it differently. And so those voices in your head, it's it could be a good thing and it can be a scary thing. And you hope that people have someone that can help guide them and show them that, you know what, this is a good thing. And if you can see it that way, you'll start to see all the great things about this. You know, you it's like the saying, if you believe you can, and if you believe you can't, you're right. <laughs> The little engine that could. Yeah. So, you know, if you believe this is a great thing, all of a sudden you start thinking and proving yourself right about why this is a great thing. And if you think this is horrible, you'll start looking for all the reasons why this is horrible. So it's very important to control those thoughts that go into your head and not watch too much news. <laughs> a lot of the musicians that I'm meeting are obviously from the indie scene. A lot of them are relying on a lot of the clubs that are now closing. Yeah. So, um... What, what's your take on how this is going to affect live music going forward? Do you think there might be more focus on social media? Or maybe we're going to just start doing things like drive-in concerts? I mean, how do you think it's going to affect the Well, I mean, we know? already see the drive-in concerts, right? Brett Kissel has eight sold-out shows, and then Garth Brooks is doing, it's not so much a live thing, I think he's doing like one performance, but it'll be at 300 different drive-in theaters. Um, 
it's an interesting time again because you know things are changing and i think the more you can adapt to things changing and go okay well how can we make this work so even smaller venues figuring out how can you make it work with seating and i know it's difficult you know especially when you have to do the spacing and everything else that limits the number of people who can be there which sometimes it makes you question is it viable because now is there enough there was already trouble around toronto getting people to come out to shows yeah. let alone if you have to limit how many people can come Having said that, you know, it's funny, I've had discussions with some of my musician friends, and I thought, I mean, if I was a well-known artist, someone who's a big-name artist, I think that the way they can help out the smaller venues is do these pop-up shows at smaller venues, you know, and get it sold out or whatever, and just bring the attention back to them. Whether that works or not, I don't know. But, I mean, again, it's just throwing ideas out there, you know, to have bigger-name artists helping out the small venues at least get back up on their feet by you know doing shows at small venues for now who knows there's there's a lot of musicians that are at different stages i mean we've gone through the last five years anyway yeah. of thousands of bands you know vying for time slots in any club yeah anywhere especially in toronto what do you think is going to happen to a lot of the people that are just coming into the business now well, again, it's being creative. You know, I haven't been in it that long. But even from the get-go, you know, I remember, and again, I'm not trying to be cocky, but this is what happened. So my first show ever where I did my originals was Rock at the time. Um, I opened up for LA Guns at the Rock Pile in Etobicoke. And the second show was at the Whiskey A Go-Go in LA. And the reason that happened is because I happened to be on vacation in LA a, couple, a month after I did the show here in Toronto. I saw a poster, LA Guns, playing the whiskey in July. And I went, wait a second, I opened up for them in Toronto. Maybe they'll let me open here. So I went to the promoter and I said, listen, I'd like a, I've opened up for LA Guns. Here's my website. Check out the music. Um, I'd like to open up for them here. And we went back and forth and then he gave me a slot to play there. The third show I did was in Brazil, like my third show ever. And I always say to people, you know, you've got to, don't put up blocks of why you can't do something. Figure out a way to do it. And think outside the box. I know it's cliche to say. But it's true. But that's what you have to do. And so people sometimes tend to think of just, you know, the, the circle here in Toronto. I think it's great to support the system here. But you also don't want to be moving around in a circle where you're just going in a circle. And that's it. You know, so think outside. Think all over think small towns I've been going I told you I was in Hastings yesterday checking out a place to possibly go play I like the idea of playing smaller towns because people you know there's a lot less places to go for social things so you'll find people whether it doesn't matter who you are and I, I know it sounds awful to say but they just want entertainment so the fact that someone is coming to play there the people in the town will come out and watch, you know, because they want to enjoy themselves and have a good night and listen to some music. So I find that's probably easier to get people to shows who are probably going to pay attention to you as opposed to sometimes playing here in Toronto where people are there to see their friends in a band or whatever, you know, and sometimes leave right after their friends play. So that's true. again, it's thinking about, I mean, not only will that give opportunities to the smaller towns to have, you know, people back again and performing and so on but as a performer again I think it's a whole different thing um, playing in smaller towns as opposed to just focusing on a big city there's a lot of potential there I thought about things like playing trailer parks your audience is already there <laughs> you it's know a captive audience yes yes 
And so, you know, it's that's the kind of mentality as an indie artist, you've got to think, what else can I do? How can I make this work? There's a way to make it work, for sure. You know, but sometimes you have to create a need for people that they didn't even know they needed. As you go out and you play in Hastings, they're going to remember that. You know, whatever the closest town is to Hastings. I'm going to go from Hastings to yeah, here well, to see her. Yeah, well, there's Peterborough, too, which yeah. is a bigger city, you yeah. know, but again, you know, not a lot. I mean, it's nowhere near Toronto, right? No. The last one, because I only have really eight. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to end these conversations on, on a positive note. What's one positive thing for you that's come out of all of this? It feels like I'm back in the 1980s is great <laughs> like okay. traffic coming here I know this sounds so superficial but there's less people on the roads um, people are being patient they're waiting in line with no sense of urgency um, being at home spending time with family you know people are missing not socializing and understanding the importance of that and being with people like when I came and saw you I'm like can I give you a hug yeah as silly and as simple as that sounds Again, I think it's teaching people what's important. So for me, I, I think this is beautiful, you know, and I'm telling you in so many, the thing of driving's coming back into, you know, yeah, like, like my son, my older son wanted to go to, with his friends, you know, he's, he drives now, so he wanted to go to the drive-in and I'm like, that's cool. My son's going to go to a drive-in and watch a movie, you know, I think it's fantastic. Um, so that's my positive thing. It's just, it feels like we're in a time warp but for all the right reasons. <laughs> it's a really interesting way of putting it. I think you have to find a balance. I'm not saying to be, you know, not care. It's not important. Obviously, I don't want to infect someone. I don't want to get infected myself. But we can't lose the human touch either. And for people to just, you know, I'm walking. I walk, I told you, every day for about an hour. And people jump to the other side of the sidewalk. It's like, that's the kind of weird thing. You know, it's like... I don't want to lose the sense of, you know, as humans, just, so sometimes I just smile at the other person, hi, you know, and say hello or whatever, because for me, the human touch is everything, you know, and um, we don't want to lose that. Thank you everyone for sharing your time and lending your ear, inviting us into your cars, offices, and homes for a brief moment. I am Pat Blythe, and this is Love the Music. Have a great day and a wonderful evening.